we're experiencing individually, that you are Lord of all. No matter what we're experiencing as a country, you are Lord of all. And we have a lot of uncertainty right now in our world, in our nation, in many, many different ways. And I know today we're celebrating Patriot Day, the day that unified us against a common enemy and a common cause and a, and a new awareness that we needed God. And it lasted, what, four months, six months, and back to the same old ways and not needing God anymore. I pray, Lord, today that you would have mercy on us as a country and that you would give us a vision as individual believers and as a church of Jesus Christ and how to navigate. Lord, that if we're in individual storms, you'll bring us through and that we can be an example in it and we can communicate the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. Father, I just pray now that as we look at your word, the living word of God, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would change us because we need changing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There was once a little boy who loved to ask why. Why, he asked his father. Why does the sun shine only in the daytime? His father said, I don't know, son. Why do the stars shine only at night? The father answered, I don't know, son. Why do some people drive fast and some people drive slow? I don't know, son. Why does water make us wet? I don't know, son. Why do people get married? I don't know, son. Then he asked his father, do you ever get tired of me asking why? His father said, oh no, son, how do you ever expect to learn anything if you never ask why? Do you ever ask why? Why? I'm a practical person. I always have to ask the why question. What's the purpose? What's the reason? Why do 22 grown men dressed up in combat gear run all over a grass field chasing an underinflated pigskin bashing each other's heads in? I don't know. Why do 30 million adults watch them do it every week? I don't know. Why? Well, as we begin our series on the book of Acts entitled Unstoppable, I want to begin by asking the question, why? Why was Acts written? What's the purpose of this book? When we know the why for this book, then we can see the very practical way that it's relevant, not only to the, to the church at large, but to each one of us personally. Then we can say, what difference does it make? And we can discover the why. Now I want to start by reading a passage out of Luke, actually. Luke, the first chapter, um, it's on page 830 in the Bible in front of you, or if you want to find it on your tablet device, Luke, the first chapter. And I want to read the first four verses. Gives us a little picture about the why of Luke. Luke 1, 1 through 4 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us, 
by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is the introduction to the book of Luke, which talks about the life of Jesus. Theophilus, I don't know who the guy was. It doesn't say much about Theophilus, but Luke wrote this account about Theophilus. Then Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so now if we go to Acts, the book of Acts, the first chapter, there's another introduction about the why. And Luke 1, 1 says, in my former book, Theophilus, there's Theophilus again, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself among, to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Luke wrote the book of Luke. And we studied Luke pretty much the last year. It was the life of Jesus. We entitled it Mission Impossible, God's Plan to Save the Planet, and Love Story in a World at War. Basically, we looked at the story of Jesus, finding out who is this Jesus. That was Luke, writing the, the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke also authors the book of Acts. And he wrote a consecutive orderly account in order that Theophilus who that's all we know about him, he was just a guy that he wrote this to, might know the certainty about the things he had been taught. He wanted to give him an orderly account so he knew for sure it made sense. So he wrote the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. So this is like a continuation of this story. And we have to ask the question, why was Acts written? Why was Acts written? To understand the question, we have to go back to the Old Testament and ask why. Why was the Old Testament written? The Old Testament, of course, is made up of the books of Genesis through Malachi. Genesis through Malachi. And the Old Testament was written to record God's interaction with people. The Old Testament is all about God's love and search for people. He was always looking for people. People 
chose to go their own way and they isolated themselves from God. They turned their back on God. And God is always the initiating, searching God, looking to restore that relationship. He's the initiating, searching God to bring people back into relationship. And the agency that he used for that was Israel. It was Israel. Then we get to the New Testament, mainly the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the New Testament records this continuation of God's love and search for people. God is always seeking to reestablish this relationship that was lost with people. And the agency here was Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus was the demonstration of who God was and what God did. It, it's a, a big title for this is called Salvation History. It's about God restoring a broken relationship with people, a seeking, loving God, taking the initiative to seek us out to come and find us. Jesus' mission, by, in his own words, were to come and to seek and to save the lost. He was looking for lost people or people disconnected from God, disengaged from their, their God, the Creator. And then to make disciples or help people become followers of Jesus. And now we find, here in the book of Acts, even though Jesus was leaving the earth, and we have this incredible account of him being taken up into heaven, and they're going, freaky. I mean, it must have been weird. All of a sudden, he's up there in a cloud, and um, a couple of guys come down and say, hey, this is why it happened. Now, just don't, don't worry about it. He'll be back. He'll be back. You've heard that before. Jesus was leaving the earth, so his mission of searching for and finding lost people and restoring this broken relationship between God and people now passes to the followers of Jesus. And Acts is about God's love and search for people as well. And the agency now is the church. It's the church. It's still God's love and search for people. See, the Old Testament was God's love and search for people. The Gospels, the New Testament... God's love and search for people, Acts is God's love and search for people. The book of Acts tells us how all of this started. And we sit here today as a continuation of an incredible heritage of history, which began at the time of creation, continued through the time of Jesus Christ, continued through the book of Acts as we're going to look at that, and we are here today. Now, if you've been in the church or you've been aware of the church or been around a long time, we, we think, well, the church is kind of an unremarkable thing. These people get together, they meet in religious buildings, and they sit in these straight pews, and they do all this other stuff. Well, you know what? This is a continuation of God seeking to build relationship with people that continues today. It's nothing short of miraculous. It started way back at the very beginning of time. You are part of that history. You are part of that Heritage. That's what we are. It's a continuation of that. What Jesus did through his physical body, when Jesus was on earth, he proclaimed truth, he taught, he loved people, he prayed for them, he healed them, he ministered life, forgiveness, and, and restoration. And now Jesus, since he was taken up, carries on his mission through a different body, the body of Christ, the church on earth. See, when Jesus was here on earth, he, he did what was called the, the non-use of divine attributes. In other words, he, he was God so he could be everywhere present, etc. But he chose to limit himself physically to one place, one dimension, and, and one space and time. One body, one person, one location. And then he left. And today, 
There are millions of us who have taken his place in the body of Christ. He was the physical body. Now we are called the body of Christ. Millions of us worldwide to carry out his mission as the church under the power of the Holy Spirit. And our mission is love and search for people. It's not changed. The agency, the instrument has changed, and that's part of your your legacy, your job, your identity. Millions of us. And Acts tells us how this all started. That's why Acts was, was written. Now, what is in the book of Acts? What are the contents of the book of Acts? Well, I can't tell you everything now, but what I'm going to encourage you to do, we're going to take several months to go through the book of Acts. I'm going to encourage you to read through the book of Acts at least three times, okay? At least three times. Three times is a charm, okay? Just so you know. Read the book of Acts over the next few months at least three times to get a picture of the whole thing. The book of Acts, first of all, is history. It's not, it's not history or historical in the sense of an exhaustive chronological account of everything that took place. Luke chose selected events, the most important happenings. Acts was to show the life and mission of Jesus Christ as carried out by his followers. He couldn't put it all down because it, went, it probably wouldn't fit in one book. So he took selected events. It's historical in that it's accurate, but it's not historical in the fact that it's a chronological happening of everything that happened. It happened in two main locations, Jerusalem and Antioch. And as you read through, it actually happens in many other cities and regions. There are two main characters, Peter and Paul, two main guys. There are several great sermons or speeches, and it's interesting to look at that and say, what was he saying in this sermon or this speech? And what is it about? It's about the spread of the good news about Jesus. The, the central focus of the message of Acts always is Jesus. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected. You find every message and every claim has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that set it apart from all those other religions. The fact that, that this God died for people and then he was resurrected was just unheard of. It was just ridiculous to people's minds. That was the truth that was proclaimed the good news about Jesus and that he's alive today. And if you believe in him, you'll have salvation. That was the other thing. People go, what? How does that work? That's what they said. That was their message. And we'll see how that makes sense as we go forward. There were two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews, some received the message, but most of them rejected the message. The Gentiles, many embraced it. And there were two responses there were those that rejected the message of, of, of Jesus, which was unbelief, and those that had acceptance of the belief and believed it. So there were two groups of people primarily and two responses. Under Roman law, the Jews were allowed to propagate their religion, and they saw Christianity as just a sect of the Jewish religion, so they didn't have any problem with freedom of religion then. The persecution really came from the Jewish people who thought this was wrong it was off base and they imprisoned beat and stoned and even killed christians letter f this was acts is a reality show reality show i'm not talking about entertainment but real reality actual reality luke tells it like it is he didn't idealize or romanticize or gloss over or whitewash anything in the story 
One of the, one of the interesting perspectives on the Bible is, is that, that it tells every, all the good and bad, the ugly, it tells everything. It doesn't tell just the good stuff. If we write a book about somebody, we, we like to tell all the good stuff and make it, make it sound like it's very palatable, make them the hero in the story. Well, this tells the, about the villains as well. He gives us reports of bold witnessing, supernatural healings, and miracle, miraculous events. He talks about those that were highly committed to Jesus. He talks about unselfish concern for fellow man and, and the kinds of things that you would associate with social justice today. He also tells stories of human frailty and failure, divisiveness and conflict. One of the greatest encouragements to all of us ought to be, because I don't know if you've ever been in a church that's, that's not perfect. Anybody in a church not perfect? Okay, good. We, we're in good company. I've never seen a church that's perfect. And we tend to idealize and, and say, well, the churches ought to be perfect and we shouldn't have this. You know what? The very first church, as it started, had issues. It had divisiveness, it had conflict, and I take encouragement because there are godly ways that they approached conflict and divisiveness to bring people into unity so that they stayed on, on, on chart and on task with their mission. It's important that we understand that, and that's why this is a reality, reality show. Finally, the Holy Spirit is the main character. Now, I don't know what your church tradition background is, but... Some people just kind of freak out when they hear the Holy Spirit. Isn't that that weird stuff? Isn't that the, the God who does weird things and does, um, you know, I don't know. You know, we talk about God the Father and God and Jesus the Son, but you get into the Holy Spirit, it's like we don't want to talk too much about that because uh, that's too radical. Well, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. So just so you know, I'm, I'm warning you up front some amazing things that we learn about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the living Jesus. It's the spirit of, it's the, spirit of the living God. And Acts emphasizes the critical importance of the Holy Spirit. Acts talks about the before and the after. Life without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the life after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And when God comes into our lives, by his Holy Spirit, the results can be or should be dramatic. There should be transformation happening, being changed. And the key to being transformed and the key to us fulfilling our mission is the power and indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit of the living God. So what were the first events in the book of Acts? Well, he starts by talking about what Jesus did, and in verse Six, there's a question. The disciples ask Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now understand, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, had left everything to follow Jesus. They thought he was going to take over as the political ruler of Israel and restore the nation to its historical prominence. They were going to be this, the great kingdom on earth again. And they wanted to be part of this new kingdom. They, and they wanted to know the future about this kingdom. Now, it's kind of like if in America today, if you, if you help somebody with their political campaign and, and your candidate gets elected, you may expect something in return for your effort. You worked hard on this campaign. The governor finds you a position in his new cabinet or the president you worked for and campaigned for gives you an ambassadorship to some exotic nation. 
okay? You worked, you get rewarded, right? That's kind of the quid pro quo of, of politics, and it was no different then. They've been following Jesus, sacrificing, doing all this, and they're expecting him to set up this kingdom and, and have a position. You know, there's got to be some reward here. The disciples thought they deserved something now, and they said, tell me about the future. What is my role going to be? And Jesus, it's interesting, because they're asking for a reason about the future, and and and. We're all curious about the future. They wanted to know the future. Jesus answers them in a very interesting way. We're curious about the future. We want to know. Today's September 11th. We want to know the future. We want to find out, are there going to be more terrorist attacks? Where will they occur? Are we going to get involved in another war in the Middle East? What's going to happen if we do? What's the economy going to do? Where, where should I invest my retirement? Who's going to be elected our next president? How is our country going to be affected? How is it going to affect me personally? If we know the future, we think it'll help us with insecurities and uncertainties. See, we want to know the future because insecurity and uncertainties. Curious minds want to know. We want to hope in a future. In our individual lives, we, we want to know our future. Some people, as soon as they get up in the morning, read their horoscope online because they want to know what to expect. It doesn't work, okay? Many people experience anxiety in not knowing the future. They want to know, how's my life going to work out? When when am I going to graduate? Who am I going to marry? Will I have children? If I have children, will they behave when they're teenagers? Uh, Can I count on my job? Um, Is my spouse going to stay true? How's my health going to be as going forward? We experience insecurity from uncertainty. And we want to know the future. You're not alone. Jesus' followers wanted to know the future, too, for various reasons. He gives an interesting answer, letter B, in verse 7. says, it's not for you to know the future. It's not your responsibility or concern. Jesus told them, and he told us, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority are up to him. God sets the times, and the, the times, the word chronos, has to do with the space of time, duration of time, or season. When he talks about the dates, it's kairos, which is an event-oriented time or event. Both seasons, space of time and events, he said all of those things are under God's control. He said, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know. Not for you to know. He says, don't worry about it. He says that to us today, too. I mean, we're very curious about the future. What's going to happen here? And he said, you know what? That's not for you to worry about. I got it under control. We must believe that. And the disciples, that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear what was going to happen. And and Jesus said, I'm I'm not telling. The sets are time and set are set by the Father. He's going to make those decisions. God's in charge, so let God carry it. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? If we're not supposed to worry, if we're not doing... He, he gives a command. There's an interesting command here. Um, in verse 4, he said, wait. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait for the gift. What is that all about? He says, this is the gift my father promised, the gift that you heard me talk about. Now, a gift cannot be earned. It can only be received. He said, Wait. What does he mean by that? And how does that apply to us today? 
if, if, we're gonna, if we're called to do something for God, and they, these guys were, were ready for mission. They were ready to do something, go out and do something. And he said, wait, why? Why, why do we wait? He said, because you need some power. And he gives them a promise. He gives them a promise. Verses 5 and 8, he said, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, we have, today, I, I believe, I believe we have absolutely no clue how incredible that promise was. These guys had no idea what was going to happen. We look back and we, we read the account in Acts 2, which we're going to look at next Sunday, and we were amazed at what, what God does and what the power of this, this released by his Holy Spirit. But they had no clue what to expect. Now, all throughout history, God had limited his Spirit's power to give given to only a few select individuals in all of history. In other words, the Holy Spirit's power, the power of God, was not available to everybody. It was given to people like Samson and King Saul and King David and the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Elijah and Elisha. And that was it. Not everybody had access to the power. But, and part of this is going to be next week in, in Joel 2, 28, there's a promise that was given to them, it's given to us. In Joel 2, 28, it says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So the Holy Spirit was not going to be restricted to Samson and King David and just certain people. It's going to be for everybody. It's available to everybody. You say, how, how can we live the demands of the, uh, the God that is perfect? through the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in Jeremiah 31, it talks another, another passage. After being unable to, to, to keep the demands of God of the universe, in verse 30, uh, Jeremiah 31-33, says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What is that saying? That's saying the Holy Spirit will come in and change your nature and so that you will have God's character written on the heart. And so naturally or supernaturally, you will do the laws of God. You will live in righteousness. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit doing that in us and through us, impacting us. That's the power. And he said, in the last days, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to be made available to you. We move from trying to keep the law in our own strength, to, to, to please God in our own strength, to being dwelt by God himself. It's internal power. God himself dwells in you. Now, we are not gods, but God himself has chosen to live inside of his human beings. That's why he talks about us being the temple of this of the Spirit of God, the body of Christ indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. God chooses to live in us. And then there's a prediction in verse 8. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. That means when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be so transformed and so changed, 
you will spontaneously tell other people what's happened to you. A witness is defined as someone who has experienced something personally. I know from experience because I've been changed and I can't help but let it out. These followers of Jesus had been witnesses of the new resurrected Jesus. In addition to that, they were going to be so transformed by the Holy Spirit, so changed that they were going to be witnesses to other people of God's work in their life. And they were going to be witnesses in ever-concentric circles. We think about, he talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Uh, in personal concentric circles, you can think of that as uh, your immediate family, extended family, friends and acquaintances, people I work with and on and on. It can be Eau Claire, Chippewa Falls, Chippewa Valley, Chippewa County, Wisconsin, USA, and the world. We are so changed that that impact carries out in concentric circles, and the ripples never stop because the Holy Spirit does in you. What makes this power possible? What's the power? Verse 8. It's the Holy Spirit. But when you receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. And the Holy Spirit is available to all who believe in Jesus Christ. If you've been wrestling with anything in your life, the power of the Spirit of God, the living God, is available if you turn your life to Jesus. Nuclear power and atomic power has always been in existence. We just didn't know about it. It's always been there. It just didn't come into existence. Nuclear atomic power. It's only recently and uh, for sure that by the 1940s we discovered how to tap into nuclear power and nuclear energy, an incredible source of energy. Well, the power of the Holy Spirit has always existed, but until the birth of the church in the book of Acts, only a few people tapped into it. Do you need power? I do. Power for circumstances, power for life, for change. There's so much that we have not experienced. There's, it's power that God gives us with a purpose. The power we have with the Holy Spirit is power with a purpose. This is about God's love and search for people so they too can be changed by the love of God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday... We're going to take a closer look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and I hope we can answer more questions about why. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a real-life story about people just like us who needed to know that there was power available to them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just give us a glimpse of what there is for each one of us. The potential, not human potential, but God potential by your Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand and that you would transform our lives. And because of that, you would use us to transform this community for Jesus Christ. 
Let's stand, shall we? Father, we thank you that we are empowered by Jesus. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to envision us as to what difference you can make through us as we submit ourselves. There's nothing that we have in ourselves, but when we submit ourselves to you and our gifts and our abilities and everything we are, surrendering everything, you can fill us with your Holy Spirit and do incredible things. I pray for that power in this group of people today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could I ask you to be seated for just a moment? May the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and his power be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.